Exceeding Expectations, episode 91. Welcome to the podcast where we give you ideas how you can give your customers better experiences. Today's guest is Phil Strazula, who works in the, the world of human resources and software. And he's got a great attitude towards life in general, but especially towards his business and how he really goes out of his way to to, to try to make his customers happy because it, it gives him a buzz. So we're going to find out a lot more about how Phil manages to do that very soon. If you do like this episode, why not share it with someone who you feel could get some, some real value from this? Why not go to you know, subscribe? You can go into iTunes or Google Play or many of the other podcast sites, Spotify and so on, and leave a review for us. Let us know what you think about this podcast because that really helps us to shape it and improve it and, and so on. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode with Phil Strazula. Exceeding expectations. My guest today, Phil Strazula. How are you, Phil? I'm pretty good, Tony. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. It's a it's a bit overcast today here in London. And how's things in Boston? Uh, it's one of our first sunny days. It's still cold, but at least it's sunny. So hopefully, it's a sign of good things to come. And it, how? I mean, because I well, I get the impression I don't know Boston well. I've been to New York a few times, but yeah. Boston and London, the weather's not that different. Or I mean, have you been here? I've been to London. Uh, it, it's similar in that it's not great, I guess. Boston right. is a bit yeah. colder. You know, we get a lot of snow. It's only probably like seven degrees on average colder than New York, but that seven degrees actually matters a lot. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah. in, the, in the summer, it makes it beautiful, absolutely beautiful, as opposed to New York's sort of like hot garbage aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the winter, it makes it a bit colder. And it means that a lot of times when there's rain in New York, there's snow in Boston. Right. Yeah. I do. I, I, that's one thing I was aware of. You get more snow, certainly more snow than we do. And we rarely get snow here. Yeah. Which is one of the many, many great things about London. I absolutely love that city. Right. So have you been here? What were you here on business or a holiday or? Uh, I went just for vacation. I've got a few friends from business school that live there. And so we were able to kind of get the insiders look at the city. Um, actually, really cool. We were sitting at a Chinese food restaurant and the Monty Python guys were sitting at the table next to us. And I you a Monty Python fan. I am... You know, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a very casual fan. But my friend right. who actually grew up in London was like, it was hard to control him. He was just so, so excited. Um, so that that was kind of like a special thing. And yeah, I just got to see the city, you know, phenomenal people. Obviously, you know, the, the Brits are super friendly, some good pubs and stuff like that. So we had a good time. Cool. And, and business-wise, what, what is it you do, Phil? So I run a website called selectsoftwarereviews.com where we do a ton of research on HR and recruiting software and then mm-hmm. try to help all of these HR and recruiting teams to figure out what software is right for them. So if you're a small company looking to hire engineers, you might look at other software versus a large international company that is looking at background check software. So 
we just try to be this like central authority that produces unbiased content to help people quicker find the right solutions. And how did, what, what led you into that? So I started my career off working in venture capital, doing early stage software investing kind of all across the world. I worked for this big global VC firm and we you know, invested in companies you heard of like Skype or LinkedIn or Pinterest or Shopify. Uh, and so that was like a really interesting sort of introduction to technology and entrepreneurship. I then went to business school, uh, taught myself how to program, always wanted to start a company and thought learning to program was sort of a prereq for starting a tech company. And then I just got sort of obsessed with this whole notion that where you work is super important to your overall life, your happiness. So I started a business in the HR space that helped companies to sort of share their culture with future employees. And Mm -hmm. after four or five years, I hired somebody to run that business as a general manager, had some extra time and I love to learn. I love to teach. I had the startup bug, wanted to start something new. And I just saw this gap in the market where there are so many solutions out there for payroll, for applicant tracking, for all these different things that HR cares about. It's really hard for them to figure out which one's right for them. And so I uh, started Select Software to kind of save people time and money and, and hopefully circumvent find the wrong, wrong software. And so how has it grown since, since you started it? Um, it's definitely exceeded my expectations, which is always a good thing. Um, <laughs> so it, it has grown um, probably like 30 or 40 percent per month uh, since I started it, mostly on the backs of search engine optimization. Uh, it turns out, you know, Google's algorithm at least is working in, in my biased uh, definition of that, where we're producing really good content and they're serving it up to people searching for stuff related to HR software, which drives a lot of traffic to us, uh, which we can then monetize through advertisements on the website. I was also lucky in that when I started this business, I also already had a bit of a personal brand in the HR space because I'd started this web series called Whiteboard Wednesdays, where I would do like a two minute whiteboard video every week. And so I kind of had an audience there to build on. I wasn't starting exactly from zero. And when your initial idea for the business, has it gone how you thought it would or have you changed direction? How, how is it? You know, how has that process gone? It's changed many times. So the name has changed several times. The revenue model, uh, how we sort of solve this problem has changed. The only thing that's sort of kept constant is the problem statement, which is helping HR teams find and buy the right software. I'd originally thought, you know, is this going to be a consultancy? Is this going to be like an events company where I'm running conferences or virtual conferences? Is it going to be a network of people that I match together? Um, All of these sort of different iterations I went through and, and ran some tests and figured out that either it wasn't the right business model for economic reasons, or it wasn't the right business for me, just given what I like to do and, and don't like to do. And what has there been any sort of really surprising elements then since, you know, in all the changes that you just mentioned? I think the surprising thing is that my business is so closely aligned with some of like the original web businesses that came online in the 90s that had the 
sort of business model of like help people make a decision and monetize that somehow. And mm-hmm. that, that business model has remained sort of tried and true throughout the earliest days of the web, all the way through businesses like NerdWallet or Wirecutter or TripAdvisor or Yelp. And they've sort of taken different iterations, but it's sort of this old adage of if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of thing. Hmm. And how, how much have you been affected by technology? Is that really, I, I guess that's one of the things that's really made you change direction so many times. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's, it's always a factor and you just have to continuously look at the data in your business, like be very structured around hypotheses and what data will tell you if you're right or wrong and be disciplined about it. Don't lie to yourself. Don't say, well, you know, maybe it'll be different next time, etc. cetera. Um, I, I think one of the really interesting lessons that I've learned over the past six months or so is that you have to be data driven. And I, I guess the, the flip side of that is, you know, your numbers can actually drive you insane as an entrepreneur. If you set goals for yourself that maybe are unattainable or barely attainable And I've sort of fallen into this trap of, you know, here's my monthly revenue goal. Here's my monthly traffic goal. And if you hit it, you feel really good for like seven or eight minutes, right? (laughs) And then then you go back to, okay, what's the goal for this month? And it's just sort of this like terrible cycle that I think a lot of CEOs of venture and private equity-backed companies have to go into because their board sets these metrics. But Mm -hmm. this guy, uh, Jason Friedman over at Basecamp, had this really interesting insight where he's built this phenomenally profitable bootstrap business over the last 20 years. And mm-hmm. he's like, you know what? I don't, I don't believe in metrics. Like I don't have metrics for my business. I try to do the best job possible for my customers. I try to exceed expectations. And if we do mm-hmm. that, I know we're going to be successful and I don't want to drive mm-hmm. myself crazy by these metrics. So apologize for a bit of a tangent, but that's just like one of the most poignant things that I've learned and how to be happy as an entrepreneur over the last probably seven or eight months. That's, that's quite interesting because, as you say, a lot of people get so just drawn into the, the metrics and the data and chasing goals, and they forget to kind of actually just enjoy life. That's totally true. And if you think back to, you know, why did you start a business in the first place? It was probably through some sort of, like happiness motive, right? Like you want to do do something you were passionate about. You want to ditch the job that you didn't like. You want a better work-life balance, et cetera. And so why are you going to put these structures in place that are going to drive you insane? Now, I think the, the really important part to emphasize is that you shouldn't ignore all metrics. As I just said, you have hypotheses and the data will tell you if you're right or not. If you, you know, change the color of the button on your website from red to green and the conversion rate goes up, then you know that's mm-hmm. right and you, and you should look at that data. But you shouldn't say, mm-hmm. I need 100 clicks per day on that button because some days you might get 110 and some days it's 98 and some days it's 30. And mm-hmm. you don't want to feel bad about yourself on those days when it's not 100 because probably a bunch of stuff happened outside of your control so just be happy and focus on the stuff that you actually can control. Who is your, well, the, the clients that are in need of your services, what are their main issues when they, when they come to you? 
Yeah, so we typically don't interact one-on-one with companies that are trying to buy software. They mostly read our content. Sometimes they'll give us a shout out on social. Some of them will book office hours with me. I have like a weekly block on my calendar that anybody in the world can just sort of book to get 20 minutes with me and I'll try to point them in the right direction and we don't charge for it. But the companies that come to the website, they're struggling because they need a new HR system. It might be to replace something that's broken or to help them achieve a goal that they need. Maybe it's increasing diversity. Maybe it's fixing a retention problem or an employer branding problem, how their company is perceived by future employees, et cetera. And so they type into Google something like, you know, what's the best applicant tracking system or how do I use AI to hire people? And then they get to our website. They spend 15 or 20 minutes on it on average. They watch a bunch of videos. Maybe they sign up for the newsletter or whatever. And then they kind of go on about their merry way. We've given them enough tools where they can take the next step and be successful with a much higher probability than they would have 20 minutes prior. And that's really our goal. We're not a consultant. We're not going to charge you 50 grand to spend six months with you to help you solve this problem. But we're going to give you for free, hopefully like 50% of what that really expensive consultant would give you. And so what they so they come to you with those sort of set of expectations, what it is they're looking for? So how do you surpass those? What, what, what are you able to do? So for me, it's being incredibly detail-oriented. And this is also something I'm grappling with as a entrepreneur, honestly, because every, you know, strength is a weakness as well, but it's just striving so hard to create the best possible content out there in the world about a given topic. And so I am constantly thinking about the interaction that I might have with a friend of mine who's in need of this information. And if I really cared about that friend, what are all the things that they would need to know to be the most successful for this decision? So that's like the guiding North star that we have when we create content and we realize that people are busy. People don't have all the background context that they need to understand complicated things like return on investment calculations. People are really nervous about bias and pay-to-play sort of agreements with vendors. All of these things are built into a really detailed structure for every piece of content that we write. And that structure ensures that we can create something that's truly amazing that people want to share and that eventually ranks really highly on Google. You, you would, when we were talking before the recording started, you were telling me about a client last year. You got them a big contract, or you helped them get a big contract. Yeah, so that was a, a company that's a HR tech vendor that is, I guess, our customer. I always sort of think about our users who are always trying to serve, and those are the people who are consuming content. And then there's the customers who are trying to market their business to the HR leaders out there. And so this particular story was a company that was fairly new. They wanted to build their brand. And so we had this idea of creating a video for them that exemplified one of their really interesting case studies where they saved the company a ton of money. And so I created this video and, you know, we try to do everything on time and and all that stuff. Um, But I think the way that we really went above and beyond with this particular customer is that 
we did our best to distribute this video. So we didn't just create it, we actually got it out there. I mentioned the pre-existing audience that I had, the newsletter, we did some interesting things from an SEO perspective. And what they told me three months later is that they signed a million dollar contract, a million dollars a year contract from this video. Um, This video had a link on it, somebody clicked that link, they signed up to speak to the company and they literally signed a million dollar contract, which is absolutely insane. And is, you know, hundreds and thousands of times more than they paid us <laughs> to create this video. But I, I was just so overjoyed when they told me that because you always want your customer to just have an insane amount of value for every dollar that they give you. Mm. What, what was your, from that, what was your biggest, biggest learning from that? So what's interesting is that doing something like that can really compound over time. So the person who was my main point of contact, uh, this was last year, they moved jobs about a month ago. And they've introduced me to probably six other customers. And when this person got to their new job, the first thing he did, even before he started, was he introduced me to the CMO of his new company And he was like, hey, you got to talk to Phil. He's like really smart, really engaged. He got us this huge contract, blah, blah, blah. And so my learning is that, you know, it's like, oh, we, you know, did we leave value on the table? We got them a million dollars. They only paid us a few thousand, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, you don't really worry about that because all that quote unquote extra value that you provided is going to come back to you. And even in the last nine months, it's, a lot of it's come back to us because we just did such a great job and left such a great impression in their head. So typically how, how do clients or potential clients find you? Clients find us because we're just creating so much content online about these topics and we strive to do our best in creating the absolute best video, the best blog posts, et cetera. And so it gets shared the right people just sort of resonate with it because they're like, wow, nobody else is doing stuff like this. Like, who are these people? They start researching us and then they email us and they say, hey, um, you know, we, we'd like to be on the site. Like, how do we do that, et cetera? And so it's kind of interesting how this whole notion of like exceeding expectations is sort of like the best form of content marketing. Because mm-hmm. if you think about like, you know, what is content marketing? It's, it's helpful. It's related to a given demographic, but I think it's really spectacular. And when it's spectacular, it allows it to be more shareable, to be more useful and to lead to an actual conversion because you've probably read a blog post that you're like, Oh, this is pretty good. And maybe once a month you read something where you're like, who's the person behind this? Like I need to understand like who put this together and connect with them because I know that there's amazing things that we can do together. And so that, of course, leads to business and all these kind of synergies, to use a business jargon term, that you realize over time by just doing a great job. Hmm. Um, In how you help people, is it, it, I mean, do you just have a kind of a few options people can choose from or are there there many different ways that you're able to, to help a potential customer? So on the customer side of things, we have one paid thing, which is people can buy cost per click advertising on our website. 
And that's really the only thing that they can do that's paid for. And how we exceed expectations there is one, we've designed a way to buy this advertising that takes way less time than any other organization out there. So if you use AdWords, if you use any you know, LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever, these systems can be really clunky, they can be complicated, and we've just made it super simple. But honestly, like the way that we truly exceed expectations are more the, the free things that we do for customers. So I was on the phone with a, a customer uh, last week, their head of sales, and I realized that on their sitemap, they list every single customer that they have. So the sitemap is this uh, file on your URL structure that Google's robot uses to understand all the pages on your website. And they had mm-hmm. created a page for each customer on their website almost by accident. And mm-hmm. just from sort of like being a curious person, I'd been poking around this thing and I realized, wow, they've got all 618 of their customer names <laughs> listed on their website unbeknownst I had no idea. No, no yeah. idea. That was awesome. Yeah, right. not not the best thing in the world. And so, this is you know obviously not something that I'm charging for, but just conducting an audit like that and telling somebody about something like that can literally save them their business because if one of their competitors or several of their competitors realize there's this treasure trove, they're all going to get email campaigns about why competitor solutions better than theirs. And so mm-hmm. that was huge. Like they were so grateful for that. And I think, again, it's going to pay dividends with people making the right introductions with people eventually becoming paying customers, which is obviously the name of the game for, for growing a, a business. Mm. It's, I mean, as you were saying that, it made me think there's so many people who are very, whose knowledge is not great when it comes to creating sitemaps and, and so on. And it's like, I'd imagine there's probably a lot more of that if you were to really search for it on the, on the web than, than anyone would realize. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of information that companies divulge unwittingly. And if you know the right places to look, you can really start to pick apart the way that their business operates. Um, I, you know, started my career off working in venture capital. I absolutely love dissecting and understanding businesses. And I do a bit of investing on my own into public and private companies. And the way that job descriptions are written, Glassdoor reviews, sitemaps, robots.txt, all these different things, if you know the right places to look, you can really start to understand how a business works and potentially how to, how to compete against that business. Hmm. And, and would that be something, say, that you would, you could, or would do for for each client, just as a as an extra, um, just to check to see what they're divulging that they have no idea of? That's a really interesting idea. I, I think that we are always looking for stuff like that, and we should probably put it in the Trello. One of the things that we do is we help companies with their landing pages. So our customers are the HR software vendors. They're trying to get people to sign up for demos. And people do that when certain criteria are met. Something has to be social proofed, mobile optimized, clear call to action, a form that isn't arduous, even little things like you need a favicon, you need the right URL structure to make people feel secure. And 
it's actually really surprising. Like companies that even have very large marketing budgets don't get this stuff right. And Mm. that's another place where it's like, look, we're not, we're not charging for this stuff and it helps them to spend money on our competitors' websites, but helping companies to understand how to optimize their marketing is going to lead to the positive karma that leads to a longer lasting relationship. Um, Another example here is, you know, we're obviously in this whole COVID situation. People are freaking out. Marketing teams are trying to figure out how to adapt. And I spend a lot of my time talking to HR people online and offline. And I was talking to one of our biggest customers that um, was trying to understand how to change their content marketing strategy And I just happened to spend the last couple of hours trolling through different Facebook groups full of HR people. And I made a list of 10 or 12 topics that had come up again and again. Things like, how do we remotely onboard people? How do we remotely lay people off? Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I shared with them that list because I knew that helping them would enable them to see more success, be better positioned, and would also make it so that they were like, wow, this guy, Phil, you know, he's... He's generous. He knows his stuff and we love him. And so we're going to keep spending money on his website and, and we're probably going to refer some people too. Mm. Yeah. Cause you, you've really sort of established your expertise and, and then they'll have far more trust in you. So it's yeah, win-win, isn't it for you and for them? It is. And, and that's like sort of the economic rationale for it. And, and I think that the, the more human part of it is honestly, like it just makes me feel good. Um, like why did I start this business in the first place? It's really to help HR people through one of the most, one of the hardest parts of their jobs where they have the highest risk of getting fired. Like if you buy the wrong system and it's a six month botched implementation that you spend a hundred grand on, you might get fired for that. And so I feel really good every day helping out hundreds of people through our content And by sharing these insights with a marketing team that's totally freaking out, that just laid off half their staff because marketing gets cut in a recession, if I can make Mm. them feel good and help them, it's going to make me feel good too. Mm. Well, have you ever been on the receiving end of an experience that way surpassed what you were expecting? Yeah, you know, it's funny. (laughs) This past weekend, actually, something uh, happened to, to that effect. And I actually just wrote this person a recommendation because I was just so overwhelmed. So on Friday, I wanted to get somebody to help me, uh, mobile optimize a new website in a content management system that I wasn't that familiar with called Webflow, which is this really cool system that's sort of supplanting WordPress in a lot of ways. Um, totally, you know, you should check it out if you're an entrepreneur, you're building a website. And so I went on to Upwork, um, posted a job, found this guy. He hadn't had any jobs yet on Upwork, but he had the right qualifications. So I talked to him on the phone and he was like, you know, I have been sort of out of work because uh, of COVID. I've run a candy shop and I do some web development on the side, neither of which is really working right now. And it's really discouraging because I haven't had a job on Upwork, therefore I have no ratings, and therefore no one will hire me. Mm. And I, I just sort of like this guy. I, I liked his hustle. I liked his ideas for how to make this thing mobile optimized. So I hired him. And he probably worked like 30 hours over the last weekend. He was up till four in the morning last night 
finishing this website. And of course, I didn't ask him to do that. I, you know, I thought this would be like a two or three week project, but he just ripped mm-hmm. through it. He did an amazing job. I'm a hard to please, really detail oriented person. And mm-hmm. the whole time he's, he's a nice guy. He's communicative. If I ask him to do something more or change something or disagree, or we have a sort of a constructive conversation, like he has no ego. It was just amazing. And so you know, it's interesting that this happened just so recently, but it really blew me away and it just made me feel good. Mm. And what, what does the phrase exceed in expectations? What, what does that conjure up in your mind? So it's kind of funny. I, I always think about this framework where your happiness equals reality minus expectations. And mm. so when you sort of expe- exceed, when reality exceeds expectations, therefore, there's happiness, there's dopamine. Uh, And that is really how I identify it. You know, this person who I just described, they helped me to get this website up and running faster. And that's amazing. And the way that I sort of understand it as a person is it just makes me feel so happy. And I think that that happiness is actually true on both sides of the equation, where Again, going back to that million-dollar contract that I got that person, I felt so great because I was a part of that because they were so happy. I made another person's day. I made probably their year, honestly. That was probably their whole quota for the year. Um, Mm. So that's really how I understand it at the end of the day. Mm. And I mean, when I – in my business, I – kind of struck upon it accidentally and I can't even remember how originally I did but for me I found it became quite addictive once I realized how happy it was making people getting far more than they expected from me it just became like wow I just want to keep doing this because it I just got such a joy from it yeah that's right and then the really cool thing is over time your wallet feels it as well (laughs) you know you you absolutely you get to feel it as, as a, a human person to person connection and that you, you get repeat business, you get customer introductions and it doesn't feel like you're in a situation where you're trying to sell people. You're trying to pressure people. It's really this amazing thing where you've got so much confidence that the person who's going to pay for your service will have an amazing experience. And that just feels better. And it also makes it more enjoyable as well. It's not, a, not a job. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and the funny thing is the guy who worked on the website, and I emailed him and I said, wow, you're up till 4 a.m. last night. And he said, you know, time flies when you're working on Webflow. And mm. I think to him, and I said, you picked the right career. Um, because if you, you know, we've all had those experiences. Maybe you're watching a movie or a TV show or playing a video game or something where you're up till 4 in the morning. But man, if you can do that with your work and not even realize what time it is, you're, you're in the zone. Yeah, absolutely. If people want to find out more about you and your company, where's the best places to look? So if you want to find out more about me, you can check me out on LinkedIn, Phil Strazula with two Zs and two Ls. Pretty easy to find. I've also got philstrazula.com. The website is selectsoftwarereviews.com. If you are, for whatever reason, you know, looking at HR software or you're just you know, got insomnia, need to uh, get to sleep. It's pretty boring stuff if it's not relevant to you. <laughs> so um, those, are, those are the best places. And then I'm occasionally on Twitter as well. 
And have you got a, a book that you often recommend to people? You know, I really love the Warren Buffett biography, The Snowball, which mm. goes into everything from when he's a kid till probably in his early 80s. It's just a phenomenal look at somebody who, from the time he was a little kid, was so entrepreneurial and just loves what he does. So I find it inspirational and also a lot of really good nuggets in there. And the last part on the book is that it actually goes into some of like the negatives about him as well, about his relationship with his father's wife, etc. Mm. And and to finish, Phil, what is the? Do you have a quote that you really like? I like the quote: "The harder you work, the luckier you get." And it sort of relates to all the stuff that we've been chatting about. But I always think about this story of this guy Jordan Burroughs, who is an American. Olympic champion wrestler. And mm. I think success sort of compounds. Uh, he was a guy that grew up in New Jersey. And in the last three seconds of the state finals of senior year, he kind of hit this fluke move and put the guy on his back and won the match. And then he won the national championship. Then he won the national championship in college. And he just sort of did, all, he sort of was just barely good enough for all these different things. And then when it ended up winning an Olympic gold medal, which is absolutely insane. And I think that if you work hard, you get to do the lucky things, like put the guy on his back with three seconds left. And that allows you to compound success and get to that next level. Absolutely. Well, Phil, uh, Phil I really appreciate your time and, and thank you for, for sharing your stories. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the conversation. Great. Thank you, Phil. Next week is episode 92 with Deborah McPhillamy. She is an expert in emotional intelligence. And with a lot of the stuff that's going on in the world at the moment, this is such an important topic because I think there'll be far less racism and intolerance and, and many other issues if we all had much better understanding and had really read up on emotional intelligence. It's, it's helpful in so many ways in life, in business, and, and so on. So that's next week's episode with Deborah McPhillamy. Hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Please do share it with anyone who could get some real benefit from some of the, the um, information that Phil shared with us. Do leave a review, uh, subscribe, and I hope you have a great week.